With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Powder Blue Podcast. This is the Phillies free fall edition, it feels like, uh, as Ed. Frank Lowe's here along with Jeff Mosher and Jeff, we've really been talking a lot about how we don't know what this team is, and I don't think this team seems to know what they are either. Well, I mean, by process of elimination, I think we can say we know what they are not, and I do think we can say we know what they are as far as being a streaky team, a bad defensive team, bad bullpen team. Uh, late, you know, and, and honestly, after Zach Wheeler, they're not a very strong team in the starting rotation either. Not as not bad. I know everybody's upset about the Nola start. But um, they're not bad, but uh, certainly not good enough to to make up for all the deficiencies they're having in every other area. And did I say not a great offensive team as well, Frank? I, we, we can <laughs> we can throw that in there as well. But they're they're frustrating, frankly, because what I just told you was the micro. What I just told you was what's bad about them this year. Some which we expected, maybe some other things we didn't expect. But in the macro, when you talk about the direction of the team and how you fix it and how you make it better. That's a really difficult conversation. And I think two shows ago, I said, if this thing really goes South or, or is not good by the all-star break, you seriously have to consider remaking the team and making some difficult decisions. As far as the trade deadline, I don't think those decisions are even difficult anymore. I think it's just, you know, what are you going to get in return? Cause some of these guys take Hector Neris, for example, um, you know, three or four weeks ago might have had some pretty good value, <laughs> but now he's come crashing back to earth and you may not get the same kind of compensation you would have gotten. So lots, lots to break down here. So see, here's my thing. We're talking about the trade deadline and what might be at that time. I don't think they're going to be bad enough to, to, to really be in that position where you feel like, oh, God, you have to sell. Like, I still feel like four games under 500 now or, you know, they, they seem to be teetering between that and. And for the 500 mark, I feel like, you know, this this team, the way they are, they're going to win a bunch of games in a row and they're going to kind of be around 500 again. And, and, you know, this day and age, whenever you're around 500, you are in the running, so to speak, for the wild card. And so I think that makes it makes it very difficult, especially when you've got. You know, just think about this way. You've got Bryce Harper, you've got JT Real Muto, you've got Aaron Nola, you've got you've got Zach Wheeler. Just that alone is going to mean you're not going to go on an extended losing streak. I mean, I think we can all agree they look like fill in the blank right now. Mm-hmm. But by default, with those guys on your team, that's not going to continue, right? But, I mean, that's not, what not, I not mean. that they're going to go the other direction and, and, and you know, no, go nine and one. Yeah. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I think they're going to hover around this being under three games one week and then three games over 500 after a hot streak for as long as they can do it because they're that kind of team. But that's what I mean about taking a hard look at them from the micro and the macro. The goal is not to be in it, right? The goal was to put together a team that can win it, to to be very competitive, not frustrating and inconsistent. And so 
if you don't make any moves, if you just treat it like, you know, you're, you're either buyer and you add a little bit to try to make a better push, you're, you're really just run, kind of running it back with the same philosophy year after year. And that's not really getting them anywhere. It's just getting them a very high payroll and players that are not performing to that payroll and then the inability to really be able to rebuild your farm system. So that's why I say don't, I don't think they should look at it as well, we're, we're in this thing. And cause then you'll be in the same spot again next year. And then maybe the year after, and eventually the bottom will fall out. So, so let me ask you this. All right. So three games against the Padres this weekend, right? The, you know, you're lucky if you maybe win one of those, right? Yeah, it's a big Pad- stretch coming up. Padres mm-hmm. are really good. But then you, then you got four against the mediocre Cubs, right? I By the way, side note. The Cubs were in first place in their division. The, the Cubs are no, they're, they're equally as mediocre as the Phillies. So, like, you know, <laughs> like, it was, it's like one of those things. The Central, everybody was was uh, in first place for an hour. Like, I, the Cubs are in that same kind of, like, middle ground. Well, well you know. Teetering yeah, around 500. Yeah, they're three games they're, they're over, three over right? right? So, the, but they're far enough behind Milwaukee at this point. Oh, I forgot that, Milwaukee had really taken yeah, off. Yeah. So, like, the Cubs are kind of in that same limbo, purgatory, whatever you want to call it, as the Phillies. But the Phillies could conceivably win that series. Although I'm sure if I, did, I didn't look at the uh, way the pitching is lining up, but Jake Arrieta will surely shut them out. Oh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but um, and then Brandon Workman will get a save in the in the Red Sox series, right? You know, right? He, he right. Save, but uh, are they no, playing but, the A's this year? Will Cole Irvin have a chance to no hit the Phillies? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, we're in July. It's just a few weeks. I I I just wonder if if it's will ownership let Dave Dombrowski just totally sell if they're at like five hundred and this NL East is a mess, right? I mean, even the Mets, right? The Mets that are in first place, mm-hmm. they still continue to rack up the injuries. I, I don't see, I don't see them running away with anything. So, so would would ownership let Dave Dombrowski just say, "Look, I, I, I think we can be competitive next year if we sort of like do, get what we can right now and then in the off season." I mean, is that is that a reasonable? request of Dombrowski to ownership. You know, I think Dombrowski has to kind of make a presentation if he hasn't yet to John Middleton on how this team is going to get better into the future and not be in this position year after year after year. And then John, we all know John makes the decisions as far as not personnel, but which way the team is going. And when he, the problem is when he signed Bryce Harper, he sort of talked about the pact that he made that we're, you know, 13 years because we're, we plan to compete every single year. Uh, I'm, I don't think Bryce Harper wants to be part of a team that's going to be like the 2012, you know, 13, 14 Phillies that's just not trying to add anybody or not trying to compete but build, that which didn't work. None of their prospects really worked the way they wanted it to work. So I don't know if that's – if Bryce is in for that. And so, therefore, the organizational philosophy may be we'll un- unload some pieces, but we'll never really – you know, completely have those kind of down years. And, and that, that's hard to do because you do have to, I think the idea here is, is like anti-process Sixers. You want to still compete more like Eagles. You want to compete while you're turning the roster over and making the moves you need to make and also rebuild your farm. So to me, I agree with what you're saying. If there's guys that you know are not going to be part of the future, if you're Dave Dabrowski and you have the ability to really sell at a high level, at the deadline, I think you should like, for example, Reese Hoskins, you know, if an American league team 
which is where he should be, feels like they will give you some real some good compensation for Hoskins. I think you have to you consider that at the deadline move, um, boom over to first base because he's been a butcher at third, and then figure it out from there, or even a Didi, somebody like that if you can move, uh, which is hard now because the value might not be high because he hasn't played too much, but people know who he is and what he's done. However, Frank, like you're saying, if not, you can kind of wait it out and try to make these same type of moves in the off season, but then you're competing against teams getting better in free agency and the great shortstop chase that there's going to be this year, uh, this off season and all that. So, you know, I don't know the answer. I just know that the answer is I think certain pieces have to go at this point. Well, at least in the national league, the way it's, it's, it's settled now, I think everybody is in full agreement that Alec Bowman Reese Hoskins cannot play in the same infield. That's fair to say, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, I still think there's good potential in Bohm, not that there isn't in Reese, but I feel like, you know, if you can move Alec to first base, let him concentrate there and then improve your third base spot, then um, you'll probably be happier. But yeah, they can't, that can't be your corner infield anymore. It just can't. Yeah. But Bohm could even end up in left field. I I mean, I I think when, I think when he came up, you thought, okay, if you can hang on with him in his defense for two years, McCutcheon will be a free agent. And then, but you know, I, I think, I think there's some flexibility there, at least if you're trying to remake your roster right. so that you can figure out uh, who, who, you know, you, who, who can play what, I mean, at least, at least you got Gene Segura that can move around. I mean, they might trade him. Um, sure. DD can even play second base. DD could probably play third base, but Gene could play third base. So at least you've got some options, I think. So, so, they might not be in that shortstop race for the 10 year deal kind of guys that, you know, there'll be some of those, but, but mm-hmm. maybe one of the guys that doesn't get signed for, for big bucks in long years, maybe they play on that. Or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, we keep coming, we keep hearing the name Chris Bryant. I mean, maybe he's somebody that would, would interest the Phillies because he's a versatile player too. So, but again, it depends on how much I don't, I, you know, I think when you've already put out the money for, for your Bryce Harper and for JT Romuto, you're not, you're not signing any long-term deals to a position player either. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would think so. You never know with this organization, but uh, I, w- I would think so. All right. Two things come to mind here. One, I agree with you that I think they're going to hover like this, but there's also the chance that the bottom really falls out. I mean, they've played awful defense and they've had awful bullpen and that can be a formula for things bottoming out. If, this thing bottoms out, Frank, and we're talking about eight to 12 games under 500 and way out of it. Then I do think you have to consider trading Zach Wheeler at the deadline, not Aaron Nola. Why? Because you're going to get a whole lot more for Zach Wheeler than you right now, than you would get for Aaron Nola. And if you're going to wind up being 12 games under and completely out of it and feel like you absolutely need to change things up, then I'm sorry. I know how great he's been, but it's to me, the more logical move would be to trade Zach Wheeler based on what you would get in return. But that's only if things really go get crazy. The second point, I don't know what's going to happen with the DH in the national league. I assume it's going to be coming, but I'm not going to let that interfere with my decision on Reese Hoskins, because I have other players who I think are going to be able to occupy that DH spot in years to come. It might be Bryce Harper. It might be JT Real Muto. It may be, a rotation of guys because they're, they're a little bit older in spots. So I'm not way, saying... I love that. Ro- I love that rotation last year. I thought that really benefited yes. the team because they, you know, they could cycle in and out of that. And, you know, the, Absolutely. the Andrew McCutcheon day off was a different day than a JT not yep. catching day, which, which is a, you know, we yep. want to get Reese uh, off the, off the field for a day. That would, that, that, I, I think that's my, 
right. my preference. Anyway, I just continue. hope that they don't look at Reese Hoskins and say, you know what? Yes, he, he's a he's we can't have Hoskins at first and bomb at, and Bohm at third, but we can move Hoskins to DH here. No, I, I think if there's value, which there should be, because he's the type of player that a lot of American teams, illegal teams would want, um, then you've got to move him for what you can for for something good. I don't believe in doing bad business though, Frank. I don't believe in just trading a guy to get some, you know, uh, prospects because you have to get rid of a guy. So that's where you, you start to look at the off season then on certain guys and say, I think I can do better in the off season than trying to just unload him now for nothing. You think it's fair to say that Dave, see, see, this has been my mantra so far. Dave Dombrowski was here to do no harm this year, AKA in the long term, he was not going to give up any prospects. Mm-hmm. He was not going to sign anybody that's going to cost them a, a draft pick. Right. So, mm-hmm. So in, in a way, this is this was sort of like a transition year, but let's see if we can't sneak into the playoffs kind of year anyway. Isn't that does that sound about right to you? Well, that- I, I don't you know, I really would love to know what Dombrowski really thought of the roster. Well, you know, when he took over, if he felt it was better. I mean, I think when you bring in Archie Bradley and you bring in Jose Alvarado uh, and you bring in uh, Coonrod, right? I mean, when you fix the bullpen the way you did. Uh, knowing that last year it was a disaster. I think they felt going into the year that they would be competitive. They scored a lot of runs last year. They haven't this year. Who could have predicted? Who knows? But I do think that Dabrowski felt that in this division, they had a chance to do, do some damage. Do some damage or hang in. I mean, because let's face it, they didn't, they didn't go out and get a lockdown reliever. I mean, Bradley was a nice, nice reliever. Right. Uh, Kinsler well, was, was a nice reliever. What's that? Was there a lockdown reliever out there to be had? Well, that's a good question. I think the Cubs would have loved to have dumped Craig Krimble, Kimbrell, and who, of course, is having a fantastic year now. <laughs> right, but he certainly wasn't someone under that lockdown. By the end of last year, you would have right. thought he was done. Right, right. So, so I mean, yeah. So, but but these these moves, I, I feel like they were just they they were done because they didn't really cost you anything. You know, I mean, I, I think that I think but that, they also didn't have money. You know, they, I mean, once they signed JT. I mean, we know we talk about the luxury tax. They could go over it, but you know, I don't think that they're going to. Not for this roster. I, I think they would if if I think they would if they were the Phillies of yesteryear when you have Chase Dudley, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins in their prime, Maybe. and you're like, let's just get over the top. Right. But and right. it kind of they they kind of did. I mean, some of their biggest payrolls were was was in response to the the talent they had on the lineup. So I think I think back then Amaro could convince them just to go over because sure, you know, there was time to win, but. uh so yeah, so that's that 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 will be a very interesting thing to watch as we we go through the year. Let's just talk for a second about a few things because I, I want to talk about the bullpen and I want to talk about uh, speaking of Hoskins. I'll, I'll we'll talk about him second because the comments he made kind of rub people the wrong way. But first, you know, l- looking at this bullpen, is there a reliever in this bullpen right now that you feel confident will get you the outs when they come into the game? <laughs> Ranger Suarez, although, you know, you have to be confident if, if he's uh, if his back can hold up or if he can stay healthy, but that's, he's also not the type of reliever. I think you're asking me about, I think you're asking me about a back end guy who's going to shut down this game and, and win it for you. But so th- that's my answer. Ranger Suarez right now. I, I like the long man. <laughs> Even he's been leaking some oil, right? So, bit, I mean, like, bit, yeah. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't be perfect for the whole season. Right. I mean, in terms of giving up runs, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think it's kind of unfortunate and I feel kind of bad for him, but Neftali Feliz comes up from you know, four years ago. He was last time he pitched. He comes up out of nowhere, throw a 98 
Mm-hmm. And the two games that he comes into, he's trying to protect a two run lead. Right. Now, is that I think we have to ask the question, is, is this an indictment of Girardi or is this just like, you know what? I don't have anybody I trust, so I might as well go with the guy throwing 98. I think it's an indictment of Girardi. You know, it reminded me a little bit of last year in the first games when they were throwing out Ramon Rosso out there. <laughs> like, where'd you come? How'd you pick that guy to save the first game of the year? Was it last year that they, he did that? Uh, yeah. Or was yeah, it two years? I can't even remember anymore. Yeah, last year was his first year. So, um, listen, I've been really, really mind-boggled by some of Girardi's moves this year. Um, his pitching, I, and and some of it is... I don't know the conversations between him and Dombrowski about who's available and who's not. That tends to be a very analytics thing. And I was always under the impression that Dombrowski was not as in tune with that or fond of that as say a Clintac or Andrew Friedman, right. Or, or uh, Eric Neander, right. I, I, I always got the feeling from Dombrowski when he had his press conference that he, he spoke about analytics the way all the older guys do. Oh yeah. There's, there's room for it there. You know, it's important, but you know, it's just information. They don't like live and die by it. So I wonder, is it Joe who who came from that Yankees and Cashman chain who has now decided that certain relievers can only go certain number of pitch counts in innings? Because he's always been bullish on, I'm not going to put my pitchers in in these positions where I'm, I'm going to leave them in there to get hurt. And I just don't understand some of his, 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 his decisions on who to go with. So I think, I think the, Obviously, since we, we last recorded, the big thing that happened was the, the David Hill appearance, the final David Hill appearance. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I he got a lot of flack for that. But but really, the way things lined up with what you said, all these relievers unavailable because because the day before Zach Wheeler only went three and he had to turn to all these guys for for longer stretches. David Hill was going to come into that game, mm-hmm. it, whether it was then or it was later. So it was almost like you had to pick your poison. Um the spot for the poison. Now, of course, that game ended up way out of control. And of course, that happened to be a day that I just decided to buy a nice ticket in the Hall of Fame <laughs> club with a with a friend and and uh, you know, trying to have a nice afternoon on a nice sunny day. And mm. <laughs> it ended up being that game to Good game to, yeah. uh, to to trudge through. But but, you know, in, in some respects, he's given what he's been given. I, and I, I just worry that that uh, he's going to take I say worry. I feel like a lot of times he takes the fall for what he's been given. And I, I and if you if you really fair. broke down something like that, that, you know, yeah, you had Alvarado and Neris left after after David Hale came into that game. But but then if you use them early in the sixth inning, well, then Hale's coming in the ninth to close. I mean, like you know what yeah, I mean? Like, I mean, he said, though, Falter, I think, was not available for that game because he had pitched uh, the the day. And Falter's a young kid, and he's actually been pitching well. I mean, if you want to ask me right now, is there somebody I have confidence in only because of the short sample size? I would say, hey, Billy Falter looks pretty good, but he could blow up in, you know, by the end of this podcast. So I have no idea, but I just feel like he's – there are guys who have been out there not throwing a whole lot of pitches who have been deemed out. I mean, they had that stretch, Frank, where they had a Monday off and they had a Thursday off, right? So you only, or was, was it Tuesday and Thursday? Yeah, yeah Monday, yeah, and Monday then they played Thursday Tuesday off, and Wednesday, yeah. right? And he was talking about not ha- being able to go. I think Falter was one of the guys he said he couldn't go to. And I, th- I thought, my God, you had a Monday off and a Thursday off and you can't go to guys? That's, to me, that's a little strange. Like, I'm, I've been un- understanding 
of this new era of baseball. I understand analytics drives a lot of decisions. I understand that pitch counts drive a lot of decisions. But when you have two days off in a four-day span, your guys should be able to go. So the question I have is, are the guys telling Joe they can't go? Or is Joe telling the guys they can't go? That's a great question. I, you know, I, I feel like this is a conversation that's beyond Girardi, like in terms of how you're going. There's got to be an organizational approach here, right? I mean, I, and I will say this. But I Girardi, thought that wasn't Dombrowski's thing. Like, that's where, that's where I'm very confused. Girardi of old, Girardi of old, this is what he did in the Yankees, right? He would pretty much manage the bullpen like he did right, does right now. And then if you get down to September, when it's like the key stretch, he'll let the people loose. Right. Now, Falter, Falter is a tough one because Falter was a starter pitching every five days. Mm-hmm. And he had like one bullpen appearance. And then all of a sudden he's up in the Phillies bullpen. So it's not like Falter is somebody who who was used to kind of coming back. Now, I, I, I still think Falter's going to end up starting at some point this year. Um, I, th- I think they kind of want to keep him spaced out, stretched out. Mm-hmm. so that he can assume one of these roles. I mean, we already know that Spencer Howard's already lost his spot. Um, Matt Moore is getting the next start. Uh, they, they, they even decided that before before Howard took his last start, which lasted, what, two and a third? And what are um, they doing with Spencer Howard now? I, I, again, who the hell knows? I don't think they know. Closer? <laughs> yeah, I, they, but they, that, yeah, well, that, that's another thing. They still, they still don't want to commit to making him a back-end reliever. So, like, they... Um, right. The Phillies haven't. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. Phillies haven't made any relievers, uh, you mm-hmm. know, in recent years. Like uh, it, it's it's uh, I guess Suarez. Suarez was a starter until um, till uh, he came up as a starter in 2019 and mm-hmm. went well above his head back in 20 or 20. Yeah, 2018. Excuse me. Yeah. 18. 2019. He had a very good year out of the bullpen. And then um, that seemed uh, they seem still to want to put him back as a starter. But they but they haven't really. You know, these these lockdown closers were are usually failed starters. Right. Right. And I, I haven't seen that. We, you know, we, we've been over this a million times with Velasquez. We haven't seen them actually make the commitment to to to, to create a reliever. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's that's something they need to work on a lot better. I mean, the last one they really created and he was OK as a as a, just OK. But but uh, Adam Morgan. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he was he was someone who was a le- who started way too long, too. And I said, hey, he could be a good lefty specialist. And then, of course, when the three batter rule hit, Morgan wasn't able to (laughs) to fill that role anymore. But but there's there's I don't know. I feel like I feel like they need to really create a reliever of some sort so that they can um, so they they can be they can they can have arms that they rely on that are young and fresh and not worried about breaking down. Because, I mean, let's face it, Kinsler who, by the way, is almost four full years older than Neftali Feliz, <laughs> just <That's> DFA'd. <laughs> uh, Kinsler, Kinsler replaced him. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's not going to be a, a spring chicken out there either. No, it's not. And this is why, Frank, I really think that while I agree with you, that the Phillies are, are very likely, just based on their history, uh, recent history, last few years, to just kind of do this whole win three out of five, lose three out of five, you know, win two out of four, lose two out of four, like, and hover around. There are, 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 there is evidence more recently with not just poor play, but guys who don't have positions, whether it's in the infield or the bullpen, guys who have, uh, don't have roles, right? I believe that lends itself to a type of implosion where you go through a stretch and things just fall apart and you can lose eight out of 10 really quickly. I feel like they have that ability more than they have the ability to 
rectify their wrongs and win, go on a streak, go at like what you're seeing from the nationals. Now they're starting to play a lot better. Um, I can see them winning the division just based on them kind of filling, refilling the roles that they used to have uh, and getting better. The Braves will probably get a little bit better too, but I am, I've got my eyes on the nationals almost more than the Mets. Um, But I I think that there's just too much uncertainty about who is doing what for this team. Who's the locker room leader, even like small things like that, that we don't usually get into that really make me wonder if they can, can hang or if they're about to have a bottom out type of, of stretch after the all-star break. All right. Well, that's a perfect segue to my next, my next point I wanted to talk about. So when Reese Hoskins said to reporters, well, make sure you're right about the good things. Is it me? Or are they lost? There is no good thing, right? I mean, is, is there a meant? So that, that makes me ask the bigger question. Is there a mentality here that mediocre mediocrity is okay? Right. I mean, and if you go up and down this roster, who on this roster is a seasoned playoff veteran? Yeah. No, who here has won anything? Question. Nobody. I mean, no one. And I tell you, I, I heard Ricky Batalco say this. He was on with, um, I think it was on the morning show on the fanatic. And they were just asking him about, you know, if you had the opportunity to take one former Philly and put it on this team to make it better, who would it be? And there are a lot of great former. I mean, you could put Steve Carlton on this team. You could put Ryan Howard, right? He said Darren Dalton, even knowing <laughs> that JT Real Muto is a very, you know, is a good catcher. We can talk about some of his, you know, calls being kind of weird, but nonetheless, good catcher. It's not that he's not the problem on this team, but Ricky said, you know, Darren Dalton would not have, none of this would be acceptable what Reese Hoskins said, or just the, the defensive lapses. He's, he, he said he would automatically take the locker room underneath his wing and change it by himself, he said. And I do think that this team is just, I don't want to call them a bunch of zombies, but I don't, I don't know who the leader of this team is, and I don't know who they gravitate toward. So it's funny you say that, because I wrote about this on 97.3 ESPN.com. Like uh, it was Dave Dombrowski. Let us not forget that traded for Darren Dalton and took yeah. the, the mediocre, talented 97 Miami, or excuse me, Florida Marlins and made them a World Series winner. Right. He didn't so even start. Right. He didn't even play catcher at that point. Wasn't no, he, he, was, he was like platooning at first base with Jeff. Cohen. I don't not even really a platoon because they were both left right. hitters. Right? right. So. But they had Charles like, Johnson. Uh, right. They had a really good catcher anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. He, that was beyond his that was beyond his uh, his prime years but but darren dalton they played him enough at first base mm-hmm. if you remember that year he was playing outfield for the phillies when but but they added they found a way to add darren dalton to that roster and made it made it that much better so my here's my thing i think if you if you trust in dombrowski who did that before he's got to feel that too right he's got to feel like there's somebody you got to bring in that's going to kind of tip it now I was reading a WEEI in, in Boston, which is the sports talk station up in Boston. Uh, on their website, there was an article commemorating when Dave Dombrowski traded for Steve Pierce in 2018. Mm-hmm. And sort of that being the kind of, uh, excuse me, what am I saying? Jeff, I just remembering Jeff Conine was right. So he was like a Darren Dalton left, right platoon. Yeah. Um, that, that's what it was anyway. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, so, so he got Steve Pierce for that same kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. He became like the le- the right the uh, left side of the the platoon, or I forget which is which, but but Moreland and Pierce became a platoon partner, and and Pierce was just enough to sort of tip the scales a little bit. Um, so so should we expect Dombrowski to find a player 
like that to try to tip the scale. I mean, he's he's got to be looking right. I mean, that, mean like that's a what he does. Plug, right. This team really does need a spark plug. Um, you know, the thing is, it's hard to find like a free uh, a spark plug who who plays. I mean, it's hard to find that kind of Darren Dolan, the guy who's still going to be a spark plug at the downside of his career. I mean, I think what they really need is a player whose play excites you you know Bryce Harper can be that at times but he's also very streaky but you know you look at Acuna you look at Fernando Tatis Jr you look at Vlad Guerrero you look at the young stars of the game off Shohei Otani man just their play alone provides those two things the leadership because people want to be like that and two it's it wakes the team up and even when this team is on the days that they're hitting well it's I don't know it's like no one's hitting for the cycle you don't have a two or three home run guy you know what i'm saying like there's just kind of a bunch of steady eddies when things are going well would you have benched reese hoskins at all during this stretch i i feel like i feel like he said that in the middle of scuffling and he didn't get a day off until he hit a home run the night before which i thought mm. was interesting right like I, I felt like he needed a day off odubel herrera needed a day off for for a a really bad um mm-hmm uh, uh, it, it, I think I Girardi is compensating. Yeah. Because so. he, he had that reputation in New York, and a lot of people felt that he was not asked back as manager when his contract expired because he was so intense and that he didn't really uh, appeal to the modern player, you know, that he, he didn't, he, you know, he ran too tight of a ship. And you see him here and you think, you're waiting for that guy to show up. Like, oh my, like, call somebody, not just call somebody out for the sake of it. But you've got guys not playing well. Do something about it. Odu Barrera can't run the bases, and he's out there every day. Now I get it. <laughs> They're also, you know, needing of, of center field help. But I mean, they've got guys making mistakes all the time, and and you don't see the accountability. All right. Now, so the big question that we have then is is how do you add somebody to this roster long term that's going to be able to really be a starting player that actually comes from within. There's only one name right now that kind of fits that bill. And that's our top offensive prospect, Bryson Stott. And we have a very special guest today to talk about Bryson Stott and some of the prospects in the system. And that's Emily Messina, who is director of communications and broadcaster for the Reading Fight and Fills. What's up, Emily? Hi, thanks for having me today. Hey, thanks so much for coming on, right? So you're you're up there in Reading and you get to see uh, these top prospects every single day. And, you know, Bryson Stott, I think we need to start by talking about him because he is the first round pick. He is the one that's got everybody's attention. Spent 22 games down at, I say down. I still, I still want to say Clearwater. I got to get over this, right? So I say up at <laughs> Class A Jersey <laughs> <Yeah>, Shore. <laughs> that, that's that's taken me a while. But uh, 22 games there, gets a promotion to, to Reading. And, and Emily, what can you tell us about Bryson Stott? I think he's fit in really nicely in double-A. I don't think that higher level of competition has been a problem for him so far. He's only played shortstop for the fight and fills this season, and he's looked really solid defensively. I know, obviously, his bat is, you know, a huge part of why he's such a top prospect, but I think defensively over there, he shows really nice range. Um, he, He makes those plays that you have to make, but he also adds in um, with some plays you know that a lot of guys wouldn't have the ability to do and he gets big outs for the team and then up late he's a very patient guy, very mature 
And I think that's why we've seen a lot of success from him so far. He's, he's a fairly big guy, right? 6'3", 200. I mean, for a shortstop, that, that's really good size. I mean, is it obvious when, he, when he's kind of out there that, that he, you know, the, the, the good ones are always, they always look a little bit different. I mean, you can tell that this guy is built for the, for the, the pro level. Yeah, I think the difference with him is that everything he does is so smooth. You know, it almost seems like it's just effortless and natural. And obviously he's putting in a lot of work towards it, but he really just looks so smooth with his range of motion and his um, ability that it really sets him apart. Now, you said that, it's, that, that he's just been at shortstop since he got to, to double A. At Class A, Jersey Shore, they kind of split him. I think it was like a two to one split shortstop second base. Uh, spring training, the Phillies used him a lot at second mm-hmm. base, it seems. So do you, so is that shortstop? Are you? Would, let me ask you this. If, if next year they decide to throw him in at shortstop and bat eighth or something like that, just, just because uh, they feel his glove is ready, would, do you think that they would feel his glove is ready? I, I think so. I think he'll be – I mean, obviously I have no say in the matter, and Bryson's very comfortable um, – with whatever he's given from the team, he knows that, you know, he's mentioned numerous times that he's not the one that makes those decisions about what level he's in at what time or where he goes. He just knows he's got to do his job on the field. And I think if he does that, he'll be ready to join the Phillies soon. Emily, we've, we were talking about culture uh, before you came on with us and just kind of a, a person to be able to gravitate toward and, the thing about Bryson is that, you know, he's not 19 or 20 years old. I think he's 23. So when he came, yeah, when he came to Reading, could you sense that he has kind of that natural leadership about him or is he quieter? I know when you get to a new place, you you can take a little time to fit in, but what did you observe about those kind of qualities in him? Well, we have a great group of guys on the field, honestly, the best, team that I've had the experience of working with and I think he really fits in nicely he's always out there laughing joking it up with the guys um, always chatting everybody up and I think um, he's he's not so much reserved I think he's just comfortable with these guys you know he's met a lot of them before when he played um, up in spring training and stuff like that so they know each other mm-hmm. and he's, he's fit in really well and he's definitely Um, you know, a good go-to guy for advice and things like that. But he also, you know, takes from the older players that we have, like Brock Stassi, um, who he has like a a connection with from Nevada. And uh, so he's really good on both of those sides, I think. Oh, wow. So he actually knew Brock Stassi before the Phillies re-signed him? He didn't know him, but their pitching coach uh, was this, this, there was a coach on Stassi's team in Nevada that was the same when um, Stott has been at UNLV. Oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. And by the way, speaking of Nevada, Bryson Stott seemed to hang out with Bryce Harper a lot this spring training too, huh? Yeah, yeah. They're pretty close from what I hear. Yeah, I thought it was really neat that, that uh, I remember when he got drafted that he mentioned that the next thing he knew, Bryce Harper is calling him on the phone. Uh, so that, that, that's, I think that's, that's, that's really good to see that he's got that, he's got that level of comfort already with the big boy. So would you be comfortable? Right, definitely. Yeah. Would you think then that he would be ready to come up in September for a look? I mean, I, 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 as you say, you know, who knows what will happen? I think it'll depend on how in it the major league club is, whether or not that they bring him up for some at bats or if they trade anybody away and there's a spot. But do you think he could handle a September call up? I, I think it really depends on where we're at at the end of the season. They actually just upped 
Um, the fact that AA is now going to have playoffs at the end of the season and the AAA season is going to extend the way it normally does. So I think that will now have a factor. Um, I, I have no no say or knowledge of if he would be for ready for that September call-up, but I do know that he um, is really good at handling high-leverage situations and he, he stays calm in intense moments. So I think um, he's pretty tough and he'll he'll be ready to do whatever he's asked. What's been so far his kind of uh, you know, crowning achievement since getting up to uh, Reading? I know he's played in about 25 games, if I'm not mistaken. So what? what what's... I, would, I mean, from my standpoint, I would definitely have to say his first game in baseball town because he joined the team on the road. So when he came back to Reading, he had already been with the team for a week. And in his first game, he hit a home run in his first at-bat then another home run and a double. So that was pretty exciting wow. like introduction to the Fight and Fields fans. So I got to ask you about a couple other players, Emily, and, and one of them would be Matt Verling, who began the mm-hmm. season at double A. And then what do you know? He ended up uh, in the major leagues. So what did you see of him uh, at his time in Reading? Matt was just so composed all the time. Um, and he was just really out there having such a great time. I mean, he started as the only outfielder on the Fightins roster, um, which is kind of like a joke with everybody that uh, he was the first to make it all the way up. He's only the third double-A uh, player to reach the major league so far this season. Um, and he was absolutely incredible when he was here, just so consistent all the time, um, just getting on base, especially when he was, you know, the lead-off guy or cleaning things up when he was batting in that number four spot um, and always very solid outfield too, which is, of course, what the Phillies are in need of right now. And so another another one, if I can ask you, then uh, Jorge Bonifacio, he's he's at double A Reading, you know, one time prospect, kind of a big deal of a prospect. Phillies grab him during the season. Do you see him progressing along where he might be able to be relevant uh, in the major leagues again? I think the same goes with him. Um, you know, he, he's got a solid outfield. He's got experience and um, he's really bringing the pat the bat hard, especially in these last few weeks. He's looked really good. He's got 10 home runs since he joined the team, which was about three weeks late. So that's pretty impressive um, so far in the contest he's played. And I think he does provide um, some really nice experience and composure in double-A for the younger prospects. And then um, we'll just have to see moving forward how that fits in with the big club. Emily, how's Mark Apple doing? Is it Appel or Apple? I always Appel. Appel, that's right. I'm uh, sorry. Appel. Mark Appel. Appel. How has yep, he been? He just got the call up to triple-A. Right. Um, so he had a really solid start when he got the ball up there. I think he did five scoreless. Hmm. Um, and when he was with us, he was so great to work with. I mean, he's one of those guys that I think is just really happy to be back on the field and playing. Hmm. And that really showed through his pitching. You know, I think when you can settle down and you can be comfortable and you can just kind of be there for in the moment, um, things were just starting to click for him. And I'm, I'm really happy he got the call up to AAA. So then maybe you could tell us who didn't we ask you about that you think we should be keeping on our radar is, is somebody that could help the Phillies down the line. Well, I'll, I'll drop one position player and one pitcher for you guys. I think an underdog kind of guy, Daniel Bruno, he's the team's second baseman right now. He was a former gold glove back in 2018, and he's been the fighting lead off bat pretty much the whole season. Uh, leads the team in hits. Um, and he's looked really sharp lately. A lot of extra bases, um, gets on all the time. He's actually had more multi-hit games than no-hit games this season, which is pretty impressive to think about. 
Um, I think he is, you know, uh, a sleeper pick, if you will, um, to be really helpful for the fight and fills for the rest of the season and perhaps moving on up. And then I think as far as pitching goes, um, Kyle Dowie and Billy Sullivan are two really great relievers, um, which is, you know, definitely going to help the big league club. Sullivan more on the back end of relief. He actually pitched his first seven appearances with the fight and fill scoreless, but he's, he's doing really solid for the club. And Kyle Dowie the same um, coming in, you know, usually for two innings or so. Um, just gets the job done uh, in relief as well. I think those are two guys to to look out for. Well, it sounds like uh, we we do have some guys we can keep our eye on, Frank. I know that uh, you know sometimes we talk about the Phillies farm system and who's going to come up and help this team, but it sounds like there's there's some there's some notable names we should be watching. So so Emily, definitely, so- I would say. <laughs> So Emily, you joined the Reading Fight and Fills in the pandemic. So just real fast before you head out, what, what was your first year like last year when there was no team? I was, uh, it was tough, but I was very lucky that I have such a great organization that kept me on throughout the entire time. And, uh, um, you know, I still had a bunch of stuff to do, writing releases, talking with the media, and then helping out with all of our extra events at the park. So they kept me busy, which was nice. And now I'm really grateful that we have baseball in front of us at the ballpark, but uh, definitely in a great organization here and I'm glad to be a part of it. Well, Emily, I thank you very much. I hope to get up there and see you uh, within the next couple of weeks. You have a really long homestand, uh, right? Coming up uh, 12 games, yeah, right? We do. So we have 12 games. Yep. I encourage everybody to take a trip up to Reading. One of my favorite memories growing up was heading out to Reading Municipal Stadium. Now First Energy Stadium. They found a way to make a fun time even better. So make sure you get out there. Emily Messina, thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So there you have it, Jeff. We have some hope at AA, but, I, you know, I hope to talk to Pat McCarthy at AAA Lehigh Valley at some point soon, and I don't know if we'll have as good news for us. No, probably not. <laughs> I know that team has struggled, right? Well, we, we, will, we will see. This is a key month for the Phillies, 12 games against the division as you get to the end of July where the trade deadline is, all-star break in the middle, so we will see Jeff Mosher, but uh, we'll be we talking shall. this whole time. We'll see what happens until then. For Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, many special thanks to Emily Messina. This has been the Powder Blue Podcast. We will catch you next time. <laughs>